The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Women's Pre-Conference, Longings. Good morning. I'm really glad to be with you today and uh, get to listen to my friend Martha. And I would have had things to say about Martha, um, but she's speaking after me. <laughs> and, and it's always been my motto that he who has the microphone last wins. So I'm just going to say Martha's really lovely. And she's such a blessing to me and her life. And um, then you get to listen to Caroline, and that's going to be lovely as well. So we'll have some fun today, all the girlies, right? Phew! Girlies unite or untie or something. Um, I am going to talk to you today about longing for an identity. So um, we're going to be looking after a bit at Galatians 2.20. And... um, Let's have a time of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we can call you Father and that our entire identity is wrapped up in that. Thank you that our identity is not built by our family of origin or our earthly fathers or, in fact, any relationships that we've had here per se, but rather our identity is built around the fact that you have loved us and sent your Son to die for us and to bring us forgiveness and complete welcome and adoption and justification and that because of what he has done for us we no longer have to live in the aftermath of the fall. So, Father, I pray. I pray, first of all, for the women for this entire day. Pray that you would grant us great grace. Help us, Lord. You know how weak and frail we are physically, that uh, many of us are in pain. Uh, Many of us are concerned about situations at home. Many of us are uncomfortable. Lord, we are weak and frail. Please grant your grace to us that we'll have the strength to uh, make it through as much of the conference as we are um, taking part in. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, not only so that we can speak to others, but also so that... um, will find our complete satisfaction in you. Lord, you know my heart, and I confess that I do not find complete satisfaction in you. 
Uh, I long to do that, but I frequently find in my own life longing for other things, and so I pray that you would forgive my sin and enable me to give uh, words of truth and life from you to these women regardless of um, my life. And I pray for Martha. I pray, Lord, that you would grant her grace and strength today, particularly as she traveled yesterday. I know how hard that is. I pray that you would uh, bless her with great grace today. And for Caroline as well, thank you so much for the faithful life of Caroline. I pray that you would bless her. Bless also our conversation today. I pray that this would be a time not only when you would hear, when we would hear words from speakers, but also that you would speak to us through each other. So, Lord, this day is yours. Our lives are yours. Uh, All things are for you and through you. And uh, you hold all things in the palm of your hand. And so we offer this day to you this time. We pray you would bless it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Galatians 2.20. We're going to see if I can do this. (laughs) Um, I'm a professional. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is not a new verse to any of you. I would assume that you don't come on a what day is today? Thursday afternoon, morning. I don't know what day it is where I am. And actually, I live here. I generally don't know where I am when I'm traveling, but um, we, we're all familiar with this verse. But I wonder how much this verse actually intersects with our daily life, with the way we live our life. I'm crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Well, wait a minute. What? And Christ lives in me. Oh, okay, sort of. But like, what does that mean? And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Okay, I can sort of get there. I'm I'm living by faith in Jesus. Living by faith in Jesus And what did he do? He loved me and gave himself for me. And that, that is, it's so easy for me to take a passage like this and to say, okay, what I'm going to focus on primarily is the fact that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me and the life I'm living in the flesh. Yes, I got to get all of that sort of focused in on Jesus. And then to forget this very last part, which we will talk about at the end of my talk, which is that (laughs) the Son of God loved me. The Son of God loved you. 
I mean, not just like me, Elise, but if we were in the South where my friend is from, we'd say all y'all. Right? Someone sent me a little poster thing that said one is you, two is y'all, three is all y'all. <laughs> the Son of God loves you personally right now. Right now. Right now. Not like this future version of you. Not like a future better version of you. Like sort of when you finally get through this little rough patch you're in and then you and then you and then you sort of get your act more together and you actually do your devotions every day and you actually pray and you actually witness and you, and you know God loves me then no God it, Jesus loves you now He loved you before you were even saved so your identity is that you have been loved, you are loved, and loved not just sort of like I'm going to send you a valentine uh, once a year, but loved in the sense that he gave himself for you. I mean, really? He gave himself for you. And what did that look like for you? What his self-giving looked like is that he lived a perfect life in your place. Right? Right. Okay. You know, I mean, just he lived a perfect life. He was born as... A little Jewish baby in a backwater hick village? Why? Why? So that he could live an entire life of obedience in your place. See, he, he could have just sort of beamed in from heaven as an adult and died for your sins. But John Travolta, notwithstanding, he lived an entire life and didn't beam in on a spaceship. You don't get that joke, but anyway. So he lives this entire life as a child loving his neighbor. Little sister comes up bonks him on a head with a piece of wood. What does he do? He loves her. See, what would you have done? Bonked her back. Well, yeah, duh. Come on. Haven't you heard? You know, you, you, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, bonk for a bonk. You bonk me, I bonk you. But instead, he loves her. As a child, he as a young man, teenager, 12, 13, 14 years old, girls in Nazareth think he's, you know, I mean, wasn't great looking, right? And the Bible tells us that. I mean, he was just a normal looking guy. But I mean, you know, he's nice. So the girls who like nice boys, 
they flirt with him. Right? I mean, he's just a guy. And he's living in Nazareth. And they flirt with him. What does he do? He loves them. And doesn't use them. Never once in his entire life did he ever look at a woman and undress her in his mind. Why? Because he was so in love with all y'all. In love with the church. His bride. So he's not going to do that. He's going to live this perfect life in your place. Because there has not been... There's no one in this room that has lived that kind of life. Right? And then steps into the muddy waters of Jordan to be baptized by his cousin. Kind of crazy cousin, right? It's like, dude. <laughs> you, you, got, you got a little piece of a cricket hanging out there. And they weren't like covered in chocolate. I can't even get there. I don't care what kind of dark chocolate you put on that bug. I am not eating it. I might lick the chocolate off, but I won't eat it. So Jesus goes to the Jordan, filthy Jordan, and asks his cousin to baptize him. And what does his cousin... Now listen, here is John, who is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, John, who lives a, a, a very disciplined life, right? I mean, look, I, he, he's not falling into the, the trap of worrying about what he's wearing or trying to impress people or pampering himself. He's living this very strict life. And he, that man... That man who is completely focused on repentance and holy living says to Jesus, I can't baptize you. Because the holiness of Jesus is that far, that far above. And Jesus says, yes, well, (laughs) no, you need to do that. For thus it is fitting get this, for us. Us to fulfill all righteousness for all y'all. See, why is Jesus being baptized for the remission of sin? He has no sin. Why is he being baptized? For you. So that you would have his righteousness in your baptism. Right? So he gets down into that filthy water because he's one of you. And then, you know, goes into the desert. Immediately from that washing, he goes into the desert where Satan tempts him. Well, first of all, Jesus fasts for 40 days. 
and lives in the desert. Um, I think Luke says he was, in, he was with the wild beasts. So he's cold, drinking very little water, not eating any food. At his very weakest, get this, at his very weakest, when he's on the edge of death, at his, at, at his very weakest, he fights Satan. Why? For you. For you. So that he will have a perfect record of always putting the word of God first. Always obeying. So then he goes up out of the desert after winning Satan against Satan and his temptation, which... By the way, he, you need that righteousness because, yeah, generally speaking, when temptation comes to you, how do you do? Let's be honest here, right? Always successful? Well, I, I wouldn't have been crabby with Phil, but I was really hungry. <laughs> right? I'm PMSing. <laughs> I don't, I, don't get that, um, I don't get that excuse anymore. So now I say, I'm having a hot flash. <laughs> At his very weakest, he fights Satan and wins so that you could have that record. Listen to me. Why is he fighting Satan as he's on death's doorstep in the wilderness? Why is he doing it? Because you need that record. And then he spends the next three, three and a half years going about doing good, healing all who are oppressed by the devil and insulting the religious leaders. And he's doing that purposefully. First of all, to call them to repentance, and some of them came to repentance. Case in point, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, calls them to repentance and eventually paints them into a corner where they have to do the primary reason he was given a a body. The primary reason he was given a body was so that he could die because God cannot die. But he's given a body so that he can die. The question is, why? The answer is, for you. For you. He loved you and gave himself for you. And then, writhing on the ground in Gethsemane, why is he doing that? Is it because he's afraid of the lash and the nail? No, not at all. It's because he knows that the weight of sin and his father's judgment is about to fall upon him. That that makes the Son of God writhe in agony and pray three times that this cup would pass. And then he's on the cross. You know our word excruciating? 
in the middle of that, our English word excruciating is, is are the word are the letters C R U X. That comes from the word cross. <clears throat> excruciating pain. But that's not the primary pain. You know, the the point of crucifixion was not just to kill Rome's Rome's enemies. The point of crucifixion was to humiliate Rome's enemies. So they would be crucified at about eye level. I mean, it's real nice to think about him like up there somewhere. But, you know, like eye level and generally naked. They would crucify the men naked. They would not do that to the women. (laughs) Who knew the Romans had some sort of morals? But anyway, they would do that to the men. And why would they do that? So that people could come by eye level and hurl insults, spit at them, make fun of them, hit them if they want to. Here's Jesus the Jew. This is going to get a little earthy right now. Jesus, the circumcised Jew. What do you suppose the Romans were saying about Jesus, the circumcised Jew? See, he's bearing shame. He's bearing shame and mockery and nakedness. Why? What's my answer here? Right. You, you say it this way, you say, for me. For me. Why? Because you need somebody to take your place in your shame. Don't you? Don't you need someone to take your place in your shame? <clears throat> and then the worst thing happens. His father pours out all his wrath for all our sin upon the head of the son he loves. And the sky goes dark because the father turns his face away. And Jesus cries out the words of dereliction. My God, my God. Only time in, in the New Testament where Jesus refers to his father as my God. Usually calls him father. But in this case, he's asking a real question. See, I think that sometimes we think, well, Jesus is saying that just because he's trying to fulfill prophecy. And he is fulfilling prophecy. But in his humanity, Jesus is asking, why? Why have you forsaken me? I mean, can you imagine? Luther said, God forsaking God? What? Who can understand this? And then he says the three most marvelous words. What are they? It. It is finished. What's finished? All of the work that he had to do in order to love you and make you his and give you a new name and an identity. All of that done. 
And you would think at that moment, God would say, okay, cool. Everything, everything's done now. Come on, down off the cross. Let's wipe out all these Roman scum. You know, let's, no, Jesus dies, physically dies, cold. Body loses heat. Dead, dead, dead. And then finally, three days later, God says, it's enough. And to Jesus, it is finished. The father replies, amen. (laughs) And up from the grave, up, boom, done. See, Romans 4 says that he was crucified for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And I will tell you, sisters, you know, I've told you this little gospel story this morning. This is where you have to find your identity. In his justification of you. And your identity in his justification of you is what must spur you on to love and good deeds. But you're not going to have the love and good deeds happening until you understand you're loved, you're welcome, and he gave himself for you. And then, of course, 40 days later, after teaching the disciples how to read the Bible, because, you know, the Old Testament, because they sort sort of thought the Old Testament was about them and what they should be doing, and in a small part it is about that, but he said, no, actually it's all about me. The Old Testament's all about Jesus. And Luke 24 tells us that he sort of spent time with them, <laughs> teaching them how to read the Bible and about what the real kingdom was, because they thought the kingdom was about that nation. But it's not. The kingdom is about this nation. And I'm not talking about America. America. Not talking about that. And then he ascends. in bodily form. See, Jesus is in a ghost. He doesn't have wings. He doesn't just sort of poof, right? Doesn't disappear into the ground. He is enveloped by a mist, probably similar to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he disappears from their sight. And what's he doing right now? What does the Bible teach us? Well, he's interceding for us. Why? Listen, when Phil, I travel a lot, and Phil and I, uh, my husband Phil, in case you're wondering who Phil is, Phil is not my dog. Phil is my husband. Um, When we travel, you know, I'll text him and say, just landed in wherever. And... um, He writes back and he says, praying for you. Now, why does he do that? Because he's a good husband. You have a good husband in heaven. Ladies, you have a good husband in heaven. And you know what he's doing while you're apart? Praying for you. Still in bodily form. I want you to get that. See, when he was resurrected, when he became incarnate... He became the incarnate God forever. 
So then a day will come um, when he will return and we will all be resurrected and the resurrected Jesus that we will be able to hang with on the new earth is going to be a resurrected Jesus in bodily form. And you'll recognize him. You'll recognize him when you get there. You know how you'll recognize him? He'll be the only one there bearing scars. Why? (laughs) See, I think that we struggle with our identity the way we do because we don't think about this, this whole thing I've just done with you. We don't think about it. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, Jesus is kind. Yeah, that's good. I should be kind. Jesus is, you know, yeah, okay, he's in heaven. Well, that's great. I'm not sure what that means, but he, he's praying for me, and he's pardoning me, and he's protecting me, and that's all very good. That's wonderful, but it's like, mm, here I am in this body, on this earth, weak, frail, I... I All of this, all of this has got to become the core of who you are as a human being. Now we'll get to my notes. Don't worry, I have to be done on time. They already told me. So, here's your introduction. First of all, you know, let's just say, I mean, I, you know, let's just say thank you, Jesus, right now, okay? Okay. (laughs) Loved you and gave himself for you. And not just for a couple minutes, eternally. So, why even talk about identity? This isn't a psychology conference. Does biblical counseling even care about identity issues? Do we even need to address issues about who we are or how we view ourselves? I mean, isn't that kind of self-focused? Isn't that part of the pop psychology psychobabble that we're trying to replace? I mean, why even think about identity? Well, first of all, let's talk about our search for identity. So what our identity once was. What was our identity? Uh, We can assume that in the beginning, neither Eve nor Adam even considered their identity. They weren't self-absorbed at all. They weren't curved in on themselves. In curvatus and say, that's that, sorry, Latin sort of state that we're in, curved in on ourselves, always, how am I doing, how am I looking, what do people, you know, all of that ridiculousness. They weren't curved in on themselves at all. They weren't self-absorbed and never asked any questions about our identity. So our identity once was... You know, listen, in, in that, in the way they were, they were like little children. Like little, little three-year-olds, they don't struggle with identity issues. 
you know, uh, I mean, assuming that they've got, they're in a nice, stable family, um, they just know that, you know, they're, that's, their, that's mommy and that's daddy and, uh, you know, I'm me and this is great and this is where I fit in the world. Until, of course, they get old enough to figure out that they don't really fit very well. So, um, what would it be like to have an entire life without any mirrors? I mean, I want you to think about that for just a second. What would life be like if there were no mirrors? If you didn't care, how do I look? And it's not just, you know, like, is my makeup smudged or something? It's, it's looking at something else, trying to get a reflection and figure out how I am. Life without mirrors in perfect relationship with each other and their father who loved and welcomed them. That's what life once was. We, I mean, honestly, sisters, we can't even imagine what that was like. The glory, the freedom, the freedom that they gave up. God help us. The freedom. Their entire identity was wrapped up in their perfect relationship with each other and with their father. Entire identity wrapped up in that. You know, loving each other, uh, delighting in each other. They knew who they were by observing their juxtaposition with others. Eve knew, Eve knew she was loved and welcomed. She knew that at her core. I mean, she didn't even think, am I loved and welcomed? It was just who she was. I mean, think about the shattering of sin. Imagine a day. Imagine one full hour of complete self-forgetfulness and knowing that you're loved. She was naked, and she wasn't ashamed. I mean, seriously? (laughs) She was naked, and she wasn't ashamed. Well, that's done. That's over. Right? I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, you go to CrossFit and you're not really very ashamed. <laughs> I had a girlfriend once who told me that the only time she ever looks good naked anymore is if she stands on her head. So, <laughs> see, now of everything I said today, that's what you're going to remember. <laughs> Should have resisted the impulse. Um, See, even, even if, like, you're really happy with your body and you're, and you're not ashamed of yourself physically, which, I mean, I can't even imagine, but I'm, I, I, I have to assume there's some people that feel that way. Um, it's not just physical nakedness that we're talking about here. It's the, it's the exposure of our brokenness to others got to cover myself up all the time. It's this fig leaf thing that we do nonstop. 
fig leaf thing. So, um, that's over. <laughs> so let's talk about where we look for our, our identity today. Um, there was this shattering of personhood that's been that was heard throughout all the ages. <laughs> so where do we look today? I can't look at that. I want to try to believe it, and by faith I do believe it. But where do where do we look now? Um, to my accomplishments, right? So. Um, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Luke 18.12 talks about the rich man who says, I thank you, or excuse me, about the um, public, the Pharisee who goes up to pray with the publican and says, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Do you hear that? That's this, I find my identity in being better than you. Those guys, those people. Now, listen, don't think we don't do that now. If you hear a story about LGTB people, do you say in yourself, I thank you that I'm better than them? I'm really glad that we're going to have that LGTB discussion at this conference. I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like other men. I do all these things. I tithe. I obey all of these laws. I, I thank you that I'm not like this wretch over here who basically all he's doing is saying, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Or we look to our family Right? So, and you know, you know this when, when you, you've spent all these years uh, training your children, and then when they get to be uh, of, of age, they go off the rails and your life falls apart. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Or, you know, they get bad grades, or you get a bad report. Or they act badly in front of people. And I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was saying, I'm finally coming to understand why I went nuclear <laughs> when this particular child acted in this way. See, why do I go nuclear? Instead of having an appropriate response of discipline. It's like my life is over. I feel like I've swallowed battery acid. <laughs> right? Get that? See, or, or when, you know, if you're married, your husband does or says something. Or I, and it doesn't even matter how good or godly the guy might be. It's like if I'm finding my identity in being married to him, then he's got to be a certain thing or I'm going to fall apart. Does that make sense to you? Okay. <laughs> Children or, or I'm not married. And because I'm not married, then there's this shattering of my identity. There must be, something must be wrong with me. Or I don't even want to be married. 
something must be wrong with me. So finding my, listen, and we do find our identity, and I'll talk about this in, in, in a bit. We do find our identity in relationship, but those are not ultimate things. We have to find our identity, as I said earlier, in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Or in our career. This is how I stand out. This is what makes me unique or better. This is what proves I've done enough to be loved. Went through a pretty significant situation, uh, which I'm not going to give you any information about. But just to say that there was a situation that went on over the last few weeks where um, I was sort of shut out of something in my career. And when I got the news that I was being shut out, and I know that God is working in this in my heart. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm getting slammed nonstop. And please don't say, oh, poor Elise, she's getting some. Don't say that. This is going to end well. I know exactly what God is doing. I, I, I'm, going, I'm going cold turkey off of that addiction that I have, and that's good. So I got the news that I was being shut out. I sobbed. Now, I'm not a person who cries very much. I'm, a lot of ladies just sort of cry all the time. I think it's really great and it's lovely. I don't do that. <laughs> I, I mean, rarely. I, and part of that has to do with the fact that I've had a really great life. And my husband's delightful and I haven't had any really horrible things happen to me. But, I, I mean, when I got the news that I was being shut out, I sobbed. See, when you sob about something, it needs to say something to you. And it said to me, oh, and I said, thank you, God. You're you're removing from my veins this addiction. Thank you. And I sobbed. Because it was, it, it hurt. Why? Because part of my identity is, is wrapped up in my career, Right? This is who I am. I'm Elizabeth Patrick. You know, that. And you know, I can know that that's ridiculous. Right? I mean, it's ridiculous. I can know it's ridiculous and still long for it. In curvatus in se, curved in on myself. Fighting, having to fight all the time. Uh, Or, to my own good works, I can be looking to my own good works to prove that I've done enough to be loved. And this is one of those places where our, our Christianity gets all sort of mixed up. I mean, it sort of does in the family thing, you know, because like if, you know, it's appropriate to love the family and, and all of that business, but then it gets all mixed up in the sort of, well, if I have a good family or I have all these, or I've done all these good works, I was actually nice to the barista who got my drink wrong, you know, that. I, it gets all mixed up. Listen, if you pay $4.60 for a cup of coffee... They really ought to get it right. 
I mean, seriously, how hard is that? <laughs> Just saying. Hashtag. <laughs> <sighs> and here's the rich man from Luke 12 who says, See the barns I have built. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And I have ample goods now laid up for many years. Hear that? That's his identity. And God says, well, you fool, tonight you're going to die. And then who gets your barns? See, we're all called to a vocation. And the problem is when we turn our vocation in on ourselves, the vocation that we are, vocation, that we are all called into is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Every one of you is called to do that. So our vocation then is, is to love. But then I take that vocation to love my neighbor and I seek to do it, but then I turn it around so that I can say about myself, my, what a good girl am I. And where do we see this showcased? on social media. I've, I, I want to call it anti-social media. And I know I'm old, so you yeah, you're just old. That's why you don't like social media. No, actually, I generally don't like social media because I think it, I think it's, there's so much wrong with it on so many levels. Yes, does it do good? Yes, am I on social media, said the hypocrite. Yes, I am. <clears throat> because I'm told by people who publish books that I need to do that. There's a, there's a book that I'm going to sort of recommend if you're interested in this topic at all. The book is called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Now, I'm saying to you right up front, if you have a sensitive conscience, particularly about bad language, do not buy this book, all right? There are parts of this book that are painful, but what the guy is doing is just reporting on what happens to people on social media and how their lives are completely thrashed. By the, by the mob mentality. Now, are there good things on social media? Yes, of course. But listen, how many of you have ever taken a picture of a sink full of dishes <laughs> and, you know, you're completely wasted and your husband's on, in the recliner watching the NBA? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and like your, your kids are running around just completely, right, like little, I don't know what's, um, <laughs> the gathering demoniac, and um, take a picture of that and post it. Nobody does that. I wish they would find, find that more interesting. What do people post? Here's my beautiful toes. <laughs> Seriously, I really don't need to see your feet. Here's my beautiful toes at the beach. Aren't I wonderful? See, I get to sit at the beach. And here's, I read a post on Facebook one time that said, 
Oh, and if you're a person who said this, I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't even remember who it was. I took my five little guys to the zoo today, and we had such a wonderful day, and, and I wore my white pants, and they're still white. Now listen, when I read that, I, I, it makes me do two things. First of all, it makes me hate you. <laughs> and then it makes me want to blow my brains out. Because like, I go buy coffee this morning, I got no little kids in the car, and I'm spilling it all over everything. Take a picture of where I spilled my coffee on my skirt today. Make you, well, no. So, <clears throat> get it? Social media. What are we doing with social media? Why does it appeal? It's a fig leaf. It's a way for us to present an identity to other people without actually having them see our brokenness. It's simply a fig leaf. Uh, so we are all experiencing exile, right? Um, why are we experiencing exile? Uh, because in Genesis 3, 23 and 24, we were sent out. See, you're in the garden where you have a complete sense of identity, who you are, how you're loved, how you're welcome. You don't even think about yourself. And then God sends them out. And it's not like just that he sends, sends them out. The Bible says he drove them out. You're out. Go out. That sense of exile is something we all experience. Why? Because we, we know. We know. We're exiled. We're not home. It's been broken. We're not allowed. Not allowed. No trespassing. This experience of aloneness affects everyone. We're on our own. The one thing that we have all always needed, relationship with a father who would never turn us away, is gone. And we're homesick. So, again, because of this experience of exile, we need continual distractions. Listen, maybe you're not a social media person. Do you watch Fox News? Get up in the morning, turn on the computer, click on Drudge, or whatever. What's going on in the world? Got to know. I got to know what's going on in the world. My, my sweet mom, who is 93, uh, really pretty much, she's not bedridden, but she's recliner-ridden, you know? And she basically watches Fox News nonstop. And then when I talk to her, she's all a Twitter because of all these bad things that are happening. And I say to her, Mom, turn it off. You know, watch something else. There's not a thing you can do about it. But, you know, we need to, we need to be distracted. Um, you know, they did a... 
They've done studies about what happens to the millennials when you take away their device, their smartphone, whatever. They actually experience panic. Why? Because that's where you check to see what's happening. And you've got to be in on what's happening, right? Now, I can say, well, that's the millennials, and, you know, I can, I've already confessed enough sin for today. All right. Um, we have the, uh, the need for continual affirmation. So, see, I can, get, I can get 25, at least I read your book and it really helped me, and, yeah, okay, that's great, and then I get one, get, don't really like you very much, and I fall apart. All right. Bye. So, and, and then you've got people who are, why, why are all these rich, famous people dying because they can't survive a day without heroin? Because they know that that outward identity is not enough and they're never sure if they're being loved for them. Um, in spite of all of our con connectivity, we're still terrifyingly alone. Terrifyingly alone. Why? Because we're in exile. Now, of course, the good news is we won't always be in exile, and in reality, in the already and not yet, we're not in exile anymore. However, we're all in exile. And we all know that when the end comes, we'll be completely alone then, too. Now, I, I, you know, obviously, as a believer, I know I won't be alone. But listen, nobody, nobody crosses that river with me aside from Jesus. And I mean, I can be surrounded by my family. But when that day comes, I cross that river alone, except with him. And that's where my faith has to, has to be there for me. All right, and then of course we we fall into the desire of <clears throat> self-sufficiency. You know, okay, well, I don't need any of that. I'm good on my own. I got it. Which is this sort of um, denying my desire for relationship by carving out a solitary one, which you know is uh, I'm sort of good on my own um, but you know that, that never really plays out very well eventually you end up being kind of crazy I mean Tom Hanks on, in Castaway right you end up talking to a beach ball no volleyball Wilson that's what you end up doing you try to kill yourself and you can't so you talk to the volleyball because you can't be alone Um, I'm the captain of my own ship. Thank you very much. I don't need you. Uh, I did it my way. I was, at a, I was at a funeral, and there was sort of the little gathering after the funeral, and they were playing that hit, most hideous song of Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. I want to take that song and expunge it. Oh, look, listen, isn't that... No, it's not actually wonderful. That's such a load. I mean, seriously? 
There's a very interesting movie, and I can't tell you if it has cussing in it or not. I know it does not have any sexuality. Uh, called All is Lost, which is Robert Redford's movie about the inevitability of mortality and the need for others. That's a really good movie if you want to sort of get at this a little bit. Or <clears throat> recently we had a movie come out um, with Matt Damon called The Martian. And you know, a lot of people really liked that movie and I hated it. Because here's a dude on his own proving that he's self-sufficient. He can do it, he can make it. And I'm like, dude, seriously? What's your name, MacGyver? You can't do it on your own. So, uh, see the heart, the heart of anti-Christianity is I've got it together, thank you very much, I don't need your help, I can do it on my own. That's the heart of the pagan world. The heart of Christianity is, I can't get it together. I never could. I wouldn't even want to. But there's someone who did it for me. That's the heart of Christianity. I believe in the son who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, what about our experience of works righteousness? And this is, again, one of those places where our Christianity sort of plays into this desire. I've got to try harder to fit in. Uh, but God isn't pleased with me. Religion complicates my desire for identity. We know we're supposed to find it in him, and yet I try to find my Christian I've tried to find my identity in being the good Christian. I'm the good Christian. I've got the good theology. I'm reformed. <laughs> right? I got I got the good I got the good church. I got all my good works. And what ha- and what happens when we do that is we end up in either pride or despair. Always. There's really only two options. Pride, which is basically laying my life down on the pillow at night knowing that I pretty much nailed it today. Thunk. Nailed it. And then I look over at Phil and I go, not so much. <laughs> Close. And it's a swing and a miss. Right? Or despair. I think most serious Christians sort of live here which is this thought of laying my head down on the pillow at night, knowing that once again I failed to do all I should have done, or as the old prayer goes, I have, not, I have done what I should not have done and left undone what I should have done. This thought of despair, see, if I'm trying to find my identity in my own good works, should we do good works? Yes. Should we love our neighbor? Yes. But if that's where I find my identity in my ability to approve of the way I'm fulfilling my vocation, if I try to find my identity in that, then when I despair, I'll just 
give in. Well, I, I could say I'm going to try harder tomorrow. Or I could give in to self-indulgence, right? Oh, well, whatever. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. Self-indulgence or just unbelief. Well, God says he loves me, but I don't see how he can. Talked to a woman one time. I said, what's the most important verse in the Bible? That's actually a pretty good diagnostic question to ask. And she said to me, the verse in Genesis where it says God made, God repented himself for having made man. I thought, yeah, right. Despair. So then, here is the gracious invitation. Find your identity in Christ. God has so ordered the world that we are always searching for the truth that's presented here. We're all longing. Can we just agree to that? We're all longing for something. And the reality is we've been given Christ, but, you know, yeah, okay, I've, I believed and I was told that if I believed I would stop this longing, and yet I continue to long. <laughs> See, it's because we're always, we forget that story. And, of course, struggle with our own unbelief. So we do silly things like look in the mirror, Stuart Smalley, and say, hey, I'm good enough and smart enough and doggone it, people like me. Well, we know that's ridiculous. Because, uh, quite frankly, I don't even like me. Now, the Bible teaches that my problem is I love myself, and that's true. But the reason I don't like myself is because I can't believe I'm as big of an idiot as I am. And that comes out of my self-love. So, I have been crucified with Christ. My old identity. <laughs> that old identity. My personhood, my record, my history, my future is dead. Outside of Christ. It is no longer I, the old I... The person who had to have acceptance and res listen, I grew up in a home without a father. And I'm old enough that when I, when that was, when I grew up, not a lot of people grew up in, in a single parent home. Now, uh, they all do. <laughs> Most of them do. Single parent home. But when I was little, I recognized that there was something different about me that wasn't different that wasn't the same experience that my friends had. And and I longed for respectability. Do you know what I mean? Like I I want that see I have to recognize that this is true about me. That old person who was longing for respectability, longing not to be like other kids are longing to be like good other kids and not the bad kids longing to be that that's gone and Christ his identity his perfect record his perfect record his perfect record for you for me 
lives in me. That's who I am. My entire history, future, core personhood are wrapped up in him and what he's done. And sisters, that's the function of faith. Not faith. The life I'm living now is a life of faith, not faith in myself or my ability to build an identity worth having or boasting about, but rather an identity that is one that I take on by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who are you? You are people who have been loved immeasurably and welcomed open-heartedly and forgiven for all your sin. (laughs) Forgiven for all your sin. I'm going to keep saying that. How long has it been since you heard a word of absolution? You're forgiven for all your sin. I, I, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And God who knows all your sin, even the sin you don't know, but especially the sin you do know that terrorizes you, you're forgiven for all your sin. See that? That, if you by faith believe that Jesus Christ has done this for you, then all of this is true about you. What would a day without guilt be like? How could you love, how much freer would you be to love people if you weren't always sort of keeping track, you know? making sure that everything is like I'm doing good and they're liking me. So, faith. Faith in my Savior's work. I no longer seek to... I no longer need to seek to be loved because I've been loved. I no longer need to look for affirmation and sacrifices from others. Why? Because he's already said, you're my beloved bride. Hello? I'm God, the son, and you're my bride. So quite frankly, who cares what this person says? See, they asked Winston Churchill one day after he'd had a particularly bad day in Parliament, why aren't you bothered by what these people say about you? And he said, if I cared about their opinion, it would bother me. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not saying that to try to be snotty or something, but I mean, the reality is if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, if he says, I love you and I've forgiven you in your mind, who cares? what other people say. I no longer need to try to prove my worthiness. I can rest and rejoice. 
Everything that needed to be said about my deserving a good identity has already been said on the cross. Everything that needed to be said about you has been said. And everything that needed to be said about your failure has already been said. You're loved, but you're justified. And you're justified. What does justification mean? Just as if I had never, come on, never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had always. (laughs) Ladies, listen to me. You got to know this. You got to, I know it's a little bit of a pop quiz this morning and it's early and we're talking about justification. But seriously, you got to know this. <laughs> your justification means this that when God looks at you, here's your record. Just as if you had never sinned, your sins completely wiped away by the blood of Christ. But that's not all. Also, also, just as if you had always obeyed. That's what justification means. That's your record before your father. Just as if... You guys aren't smiling, and I don't quite know why. (laughs) Just as if you had always obeyed. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I mean, isn't that good news? Seriously, a whole day, a whole day thinking that that's what was true about you? So, who are we? We, uh, we are his beautiful bride. Huh. You're his beautiful bride. You may have taken all sorts of mud and other things and rubbed it all over yourself at different times in your life. That's not how he sees you. You're his beautiful bride. He has clothed you in robes of righteousness. What are you going to wear on your wedding day? His righteousness. This beautiful gown of his righteousness. And all of your flaws and sin and failure and brokenness is going to be covered. And he calls you, and he calls you right now, he calls you my delight. What? what, what? He calls you his delight. He has promised to prepare a place for you so that you can live together in eternal bliss. I have a book coming out in about a month called Home. And that's about the new heavens and new earth, where we're headed. (laughs) Get it at your local bookstore. Um, And what's he doing? He's praying for you. What's he doing right now? Is he fretting? Oh, I wish she would be nicer to the barista. No. He's praying for you, pardoning you. I actually wasn't mean to a barista today, in case you're wondering. Just by the grace of God. Um, Praying for you, pardoning you, protecting you. And he forgives you for not believing that he's as good as he says he is. So, like, don't walk away from this and say, I really hope I get it together so that God will be happy with me. He forgives you. And so, welcome home, (laughs) sweeties. Welcome home. Welcome home. The door is wide open. To who? Everyone who knows he's a sinner. That's that's who God opens the door to. 
those who know they need a physician. Welcome home. The door is wide open. There aren't any no trespassing signs here. There aren't any mean girls to keep you out. Come in. Find your place in the family under his love. Enjoy his bounty. Enjoy it. It's all for you. It's all for you. See, why did he do all that? I'm going to ask the question again. Why has he done everything he's done? For me. Nice. Now, live in the light of that. And on the days when you live in the light of it, rejoice in the fact that he gave you the grace to live in the light of it. And on the days when you don't live in the light of it, remember, you're justified. We're going to take a break. You get a half an hour, and at 10.45, you're going to come back here and hear my pal Martha, and you're going to be blessed. Be free, little birdies. Copyright 2016, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.